0: Lock Talk
1: Radio.
2: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Roderico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Uh, not sure what happened to the audio there, but had a little glitch at the end. Um, and and uh, we're going to have a great show tonight, uh, this April 12th, uh, the week after the Masters. I uh, had a very interesting Masters last uh, weekend, and uh, depending on who you're rooting for, you're either happy uh, with who won or maybe a little disappointed if, you, if your player didn't uh, uh, didn't win the, uh, the uh, Masters tournament. But nevertheless... We're here and going to have a great show tonight. Uh, Starting things off, of course, uh, will be another great round of Coach's Corner. and I've got three uh, fantastic golf professionals. All have been on uh, the show as guests and also have been on Coach's Corner uh, many, many times over the last several years. And a little bit later on in the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest this evening, Greg Thorner. Uh, He's a a great uh, golf professional in the Tampa, Florida area and also the owner of Break 30, the improvement movement. We're going to talk a little bit about him uh, on the second half of the show. But let me just remind everybody, before I bring the guys out on the panel, uh, that we are live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on Blog Talk Radio. And just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live or just simply type Golf Talk Live up in the search key and that will take you to the main page. And as I said, we are live uh, Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, For some reason, if you can't join us live, just scroll down on that page to the On Demand section and uh, all of the shows, including tonight's, uh, will be there in their entirety and you can listen to them when it's convenient for you. So if you can't join us live, not to worry, just visit the link and uh, scroll down to the on-demand section and you can hear the show there uh, sometime later when it's convenient for you or any of the other shows that have been on as well. Uh, you can also uh, search it under uh, a number of different uh, social media platforms, including iTunes. iTunes.com, uh, d- uh, com, excuse me, and TuneIn.com. And under the podcast section, just type in, again, Golf Talk Live and that will take you there. So if you want to listen to those... Uh, on those social media uh, platforms you're welcome to do that as well Uh, you can also call into the show anytime during the live broadcast the number to call is area code 646-716-4667 or you can email questions or comments to me personally at my email address is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and of course as all you know by now if you've been following the show for any length of time uh, update on on social media facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog is the uh, main page, but also my personal page. You can just search under my name, uh, Ted Odorico, and you'll find it there as well. Uh, also on LinkedIn.com under my personal name, and also on Twitter. Uh, if you go to Twitter and follow me there, and my handle is Ted and Buck, CEO, CO, of course, in capital letters. Uh, so, as I said, we've got a great show for you tonight. Let me uh, bring out the guys here, tell you a little bit about them, and then we'll get into our, our discussion for the evening here on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, first up on the panel, of course, is uh, no stranger to the panel, and uh, uh, as I said, uh, has been a guest many times as well, John Hughes, uh, PJ Master Professional, and now the President of the North Florida PJ Section. And he was also the recipient, recipient, excuse me, in 2013 of the PGA of America's Horton Smith Award. And he's also a Golf Tips Magazine Top 30 instructor. Uh, also, no slouch to the panel, is Peter Agazarian. He's a PGA and TPI teacher professional with Triconic Golf Club. Uh, he's also the head men's golf coach with the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts and also the founder of Northeast Golf Performance and a member of the Proponent Group. And last, uh, rounding out the panel, of course, uh, also been on many, many times on the panel and as a guest uh, is Paul Castor. He's a golf coach, uh, director of instruction at Fort's Gate uh, Country Clubs, and has been recognized by Golf Digest as one of the best teachers in New Jersey uh, for 2017 and 18, and was selected by U.S. Kids Golf as one of 2017's top 50 kid teachers. So a great, well-rounded panel tonight. And guys, uh, thank you for joining me tonight. Welcome to
3: Coach's Corner. Thanks so much for having us, Ted.
2: Yeah, thank okay. you, Ted. Our, all right. So what we're going to talk, uh, what we're going to talk about is, is our beginning golfers. These are golfers that uh, have never played before. We're going to talk about a, a couple of areas. We're going to talk about the lessons uh, area component to it, but we're also going to talk in a little bit more detail uh, about golf clubs. Um most beginners uh, many of them probably don't have a set of clubs yet and we're going to talk specifically uh in a lot of different areas about what they should be looking for and why. So uh John I'm going to start with you but before I do I'm just going to read out a little bit here and then we're going to get into discussion and uh we're going to start with the equipment side of things here first. You know the best golf clubs for beginning golfers are the ones that of course induce maximum forgiveness and improvement uh to help your of course your ball striking ability. Uh, sort of to combat the problem of inconsistent hitting, uh, it's often recommended that an oversized club with a larger sweet pot, uh, spot excuse me, is an ideal uh, situation. So uh, we're going to talk about some other things specifically about that. But, uh, John, I want to start with the driver because this is an area that I think a lot of um, new beginners to the game kind of make uh, mistakes with. When you're looking for a driver... As a beginning golfer, you've never played the game or maybe played very, very little in in your lifetime so far. What should you be looking for? And and try to be as specific. I mean, obviously, we don't have to get into necessarily all the measurements, but try to be as specific as you can. Um, What should they be looking for? And what maybe should they, as a beginning golfer, stay away from? And I'm assuming the guys are still with me. John, are you?
3: (laughs) Are you there? I'm I'm here still. Uh, Okay. Okay,
2: John.
0: I'm here. um,
2: Yeah, John. Did did you hear the question? I'm not sure if you uh, if you didn't hear that or not. Do you want me to repeat it?
1: I know I heard the question. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now, Ted. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, real quick, two, two simple things as light and as forgiving as possible. Don't worry about length. Uh, when you're talking about specifics, we can talk more about that and then try to put as much loft in your hand as you can. Loft your friend. It's, uh, makes the club a little bit more forgiving, gets going to get the ball launched up in the air easier for you. Uh, should make things a little bit easier from right out of the, right out of the box as far as light, that's the way the industry's going. Lighter's better. Lighter means faster clubhead speeds. We're all enamored by length. You want more length, you got to have more clubhead speed. So I'm typically telling beginners, let's put a lot of as much loft in there as we can without popping the ball up in the air. Let's get something light in your hand so it's not a drudgery to pull it through the hitting zone.
2: Yeah, I I agree as well and and you know what I often recommend to you know some of the folks that i've been working with over the years is you know often we we see players pulling out a a nine degree or 10 degree loft um which is fine if you know for those that are a better hitter but for your beginning golfers i agree with that what you just said john i think you know you can even go up a 12 even to a 15 degree if necessary depending on on the individual um because you want to be able to encourage uh getting the ball up in the air without having to make a lot of manipulation in, in the golf swing and you know as you improve you know then you can maybe look at getting uh you know a newer piece of equipment with a little bit less loft as you become a little bit more accomplished player but i agree with that uh, analogy i think the, and also too uh i think lighter uh is also better and i want to talk a little bit about john if you wouldn't mind touching on uh you know for the driver about the shaft it's not just about the weight of the club but also the shaft too a lot of Players, a lot of beginners particularly, uh, I think quite often get too stiff of a shaft. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, I'm not going to disagree with you. From years ago, when I first started learning the fit, it was always about getting the most flexible shaft in your hand possible possible that you could control. Uh, What does that mean? What it basically means is, If stiff is too stiff and it feels like a telephone pole in your hand you just can't get the club to release and propel the ball where you need to go, go to a regular. If that's not working, go to a senior. If that's not working, go to a a ladies. But those were the only choices 20 years ago. Now you actually have choices within each stiffness. You can go with a heavier gram shaft. Uh, The heavier the grams, the more stiff that's going to be within that barrel of shafts, whether it's stiff, regular, senior, ladies. Uh, I'm seeing myself tend to fit people more nowadays with 40-gram shafts. Uh, They're made very Mm -hmm. durably. Uh, They're built to last, and they're able to make a better swing due to not having excessive weight in the golf club. Uh, At the end of the day, everything on that driver is getting lighter, from the head itself being made out of multiple Materials, a lot of composite, which, which frees up some weight, uh, and they're able to change a sweet spot as well as the center of gravity due to that. But when it comes to shaft, uh, the longer it is, in theory, statically it's going to weigh a little bit more, but you can literally go from, say, a 60-gram shaft to a 50-gram shaft to a 40-gram shaft and see a big difference as you step down in weight as to how much the ball right. launches in the, in the correct trajectory window, how long that ball stays in the air, which means more length, and actually how the ball lands and gets a little bit more roll. So you have a total distance that's a little bit easier to acquire simply because you have the right shaft in your hand. So the, the common theory is lighter is better, uh, more, more flex is better, up until the point where you can't control it
2: yeah and and well said and, and and the reason why I want to talk about this is because you know we so often see players going out they you know they they're looking at their what's in their their buddy's golf bag or they're you know they're talking to their friends and they're saying, Well, this is what I play or that's what I play, and quite often they they don't get fitted properly number one um but also you know they're not maybe getting the right type of of club. Uh, in their hands. And and that's something as well. And and same with the shaft and so forth. And and I think you've explained that very well. Um, Peter, I want to move on to you. And and we're we're going to talk about, and I'm going to sort of have two components to this. We're going to talk about um, fairway woods and also uh, hybrids. Now, traditionally, years ago when we were sort of building up our our, our clubs uh, in our golf bags, We might have a driver, maybe a three-wood or even a five-wood. But today's uh, market, Peter, it's changed a lot with the introduction of hybrid clubs, which even are that much more forgiving than some of our longer fairway would. Talk about that as well from a beginner standpoint, what they should be um, looking at and why they should be making the decision whichever way you go um, to best fit their uh, game.
0: Yeah, if the player is really a rank beginner and they're just looking to really discover whether golf is something they want to do, um, I really encourage them to have a very minimal bag at first, um, four to five clubs and, you know, discover whether this is for them and, you know, guide them in the process of um, having one of those types of clubs you're mentioning be something they use off the tee actually. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes people gravitate towards a, a fairway wood of some kind. Um, and I think the best thing people can do in that beginning stage is ask for help. Um, ask for help determining, you know, what is what, um, what what can really agree with me. And if you go to someone like John or Paul or myself, uh, generally speaking, there's clubs for you to try and and see whether maybe a a hybrid or a fairway would would be good to have as one of those four or five or six clubs to start your bag um, and really discover how to play golf.
2: Yeah, I I think one of the issues that – well said, by the way, Peter. I I think one of the issues that a lot of um, beginning golfers have when making the right selection is – you know, not considering having a hybrid. For instance, you know, years ago, we we started to whittle away the two-iron, even the three-iron, and even the four-iron for a lot of people just because they were more difficult for a lot of our amateur golfers to hit. Um, but now a lot of people are getting rid of even the five and even the six-iron uh, and replacing them with hybrids. And I think there's a couple of benefits. Uh, obviously, the hybrid clubs are easier to hit um, for most people and are still able to help a lot of our, our golfers out there, especially our newer golfers, uh, to get that ball airborne uh, without uh, sacrificing too much distance. So uh, there's a lot of benefits.
0: Ted, the, the, the beginners and, I really work with feel very overwhelmed with having even a full complement of clubs in their bag. They, they don't know right. what they mean. They don't know what how far each club goes, what they're used for. Um, I just try to take a more simplistic approach and give them options, have them be comfortable with the clubs they have in the bag, the amount of money they've just invested, and you know, be confident about what they're using rather than feel pressured into conforming to immediately – or investing in something they're not comfortable with. So it's just something that I, an angle I've taken, and in the beginning, a lot of people feel uh, a little more comfortable, not feeling as though they can go spend, um, you know, two or $300 and have something to play with rather than feeling pressured into making uh, maybe even a more significant investment than that. if, If they're really just beginning.
2: Yeah, and and, and this is really why I wanted to have this discussion tonight on the Coach's Corner panel because, you know, a lot of people are in that category. You know, we're trying to grow the game, and there's so many great things that we can do as golf instructors once we get them out to the facility to help make that a a more pleasurable experience. But we also want them before they even get there or when they get there and they have questions like this, well, you know, what club should I get? Um, you know, it's very easy for us to steer them into, you know, the pro shop or, or, uh, you know, wherever uh, to get a set of clubs. But we have to keep mindful that if this is somebody that's new to the game, uh, you know, 14 clubs in the bag, that's the, that's the maximum, but that's not a written rule that you have to have 14 clubs. You just can't have more than that. So, you know, as you said, Peter, You know, you can maybe start off with five clubs, uh, you know, or something along that lines, just until you get comfortable with the game. So it's not as big of an investment and it's not as, um, you know, overwhelming. Um, The other thing, Peter, uh, before I move to to Paul, I want to kind of go back a little bit to what, you know, John was talking about the shaft and that. I I think another component, too, why I agree with what John said about maybe having a a lighter shaft and, and also maybe a less flexible or sorry, a more flexible shaft, uh, for some of our beginner golfers is I think it, it induces a more fluid, uh, and, and swing for the, for the average golfer, uh, especially our, our beginning golfers out there, because I think sometimes if they get too stiff of a shaft they're, they're rushing or speeding up the, the process. And a lot of times I think it's better to have them swing a little bit slower to begin with so that they're making sure that it's fluid and that they're within balance. Uh, what are your thoughts there?
0: I mean, from a technical standpoint, I'd rather have, draw some kind of contextual understanding of an experience I've had before. Um, I, I agree with you. I think it's important to be extremely fluid, but um, if it's a, I mean, a, drawing some kind of comparison... Uh, some other way they've been athletic or some way they can relate to what you're, what we're showing them. But, I mean, in a real sense, that most learning specialists are going to tell you that an, an action is best learned at the speed in which it's intended to be played or done. So I, I'm always encouraging people to see that whatever comfortable speed they would be, but um, lower speeds is generally not an option I go with. Um, it, it generally, can, for, for most I've found it to be more difficult for that. Um, but, you know, John just said, I, I tend to agree with him completely. Um, a lot of times it's a little bit of malpractice by some realtors, um, that, you know, they're, they're assuming certain things or they're just trying to, uh, move inventory, you know, and I, I feel it. You know, if I have a, a person coming to me that clearly should have a lighter, a lighter shaft, but um, was guided towards a stiff flex, I, I I often get a little sad. So I I just always encourage people to go right. to health and uh, go to someone they trust for sure.
2: Yeah, and and you're exactly right. And, and I guess just to clarify, you know, what I mean by uh, swinging a little bit slower is. I think there's there's sort of been this push for a long time you know to generate more club head speed to get more distance, which is great, but I think for a lot of our beginner golfers it's i think it's more important to get them to swing within themselves, obviously you know it has to be at their speed because everybody has a different tempo you know we and I've mentioned this many times on the show, you know we look at somebody like a uh a Freddie couples uh you know, who has a little bit more slow, fluid-looking swing. Uh, Ernie Els is another example. And then you, on the flip side, you've got somebody uh, like a Nick Price who has a much quicker tempo. Um, so if you've got a golfer who, whose, uh, you know, natural rhythm or tempo is more like an Ernie Els, and you try to get them, uh, in order to get distance, swinging more like a Nick Price – they're not going to swing within balance, so that's really, I guess, the approach that I was taking oh. uh, when I said to slow it down. And certainly, I don't want them to to be swinging no, at a no. snails' pace because that's going to create a, a whole different
0: right. If that's the case, I completely agree with you.
2: Right. Yeah, and that's what that's what I was referring to. All right, okay. Paul. Um, we're we're going to go on to uh, irons a little bit, and there's a you know a big variety. we we're, we're not looking for specific. Uh, brands or things like that but you know for our beginning golfers there's a lot of game improvement irons out there when you've got a beginning golfer coming in and you know they're, they're just you know fresh off the canvas so to speak we want to make sure that they're playing with a club that's going to give them the maximum forgiveness so what's sort of your thought process on that what should they be looking for um, with the style of, of club head. I mean, we always talk about, you know, we want them, it wants to look good to the eye and that. But a lot of times for, um, you know, our, our early golfers, sometimes what looks good to their eye may not be the best club for them at that time. Now, down the road, they may want to make changes. Um, what are your thoughts there and what do you try to recommend uh, or look for? Uh, when helping maybe some of the new beginner golfers uh, make selections for their irons? What are some things that uh, come up to to your thoughts?
3: Well, I, um, I definitely agree with uh, Peter's approach in terms of keeping the bag minimal. Um, So a bag that has maybe like high lofted driver, like John mentioned, Um, there are club companies that, that are, you know, coming out with 44 and a half inch drivers now, uh, which is like, I think, a, a great thing. Um, and, you know, that we're kind of regaining some, uh, some uh, uh, you know, rational thought when it comes to the length of, of that club because it makes it so much easier to hit it in the middle of the face. Um, and so, uh, you know, try to encourage people more in the direction of, of a high lofted, shorter, you know, shorter driver, something like that, a hybrid um, along the lines of like a five or even a six hybrid, depending on the person Um, an eight iron, a sand wedge and a putter uh, or, you know, some, something along those lines, because when you're developing your golf game, you're not really hitting it consistently or generating enough club head speed to take advantage of, you know, an eight iron set of clubs with a variety of different locks. So Mm. that's the whole purpose of, of having a set of clubs like that. is is that if you're, you know, hitting the center of the club face consistently and creating kind of a a certain amount of club head speed, you're going to get a different result. But when you're learning how to swing golf club, that really, you know, a lot of beginners, a lot of entry-level golfers are basically hitting all of their clubs or or four or five of their irons essentially the same distance. So we're trying to just, you know, give them a set of clubs that they can advance the golf ball with and be out on the golf course and kind of get some context in terms of what they're learning and what they're getting during lessons. And, um, and in in terms of the club head, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have kind of preferences in terms of aesthetics, but when you hit a good shot and you can feel the difference between you know, consistently easier versus sometimes very punishing. Um that mm-hmm. makes the decision pretty easy, you know. So um US Kids actually makes a great uh product for ladies, the Lady Light Clubs. Um and so I uh I've encouraged a lot of people um in in the direction of those. Um and Cobra is doing a great job uh with uh ultralight clubs, uh, you know, and and, and lightweight shafts and fur length um shorter length drivers these days. And I think the one length um you know phenomenon has some merit too actually. Um because now we're seeing one length, you know, single length hybrids uh that, that actually will allow a golfer to develop basically a consistent posture and, and still hit the ball different distances eventually. So um I don't know. That was a complicated answer, but basically, something that helps them. You know, <laughs> a that helps them.
2: Right. No, that was well said. Uh, I think you you definitely covered all the bases there. I, I think really what you know, I, I want to sort of expose tonight with with this first part of the discussion is that there are a lot of choices out there, and it can be very confusing for a lot of our club golfers, uh, and you know, especially our beginning golfers that that want to get out there, they want to come to the game. And I think the more, uh, you know, it it was different, you know, 20, 30 years ago, um, you know, it was a different breed of golfer. But now in today's society, there's a lot of, uh, you know, people that want to get into the game that have never been exposed. Maybe their parents didn't play golf. uh, So they didn't play golf when they were were a little bit younger or weren't introduced at a very early age. And as a result, um, now... You know, they want to take up the game. They don't really know where to start. There's a lot of great, you know, there's a lot of great game improvement clubs out there of all different shapes and sizes and, and uh, you know, club heads and, and so forth. And I, I think that people really need to, uh, you know, information, you know, I'll, I'll step back for a second. You know, when we go to the to the PGA merchandising show for those that, that uh, go down there, you know, we see a lot of this new technology and we see a lot of great marketing and, and promotion of these clubs. But the average golfer really doesn't understand the differences between a blade and a cavity back. They don't really understand the differences. So, you know, we can talk about, you know, larger sweet spot and we can talk about uh, you know, thin thinner top line and, and a wider sole and things like that. But a lot of our average golfers out there, and especially our beginning golfers, they haven't got a clue what we're talking about. So a lot of times I think there there has to be an education process. we're going to talk a little bit about that in in uh, in a few moments but I think it's very, very important if we want to truly grow the game and get new people uh, into golf that we have to approach it a little bit differently and and as I think Peter you had said earlier, um, you know unfortunately, what ends up happening is if there's a little bit of um, you know inventory still on hand that a lot of times people get steered into there in order to get rid of it and that's not always the best thing because you know you don't want to fit somebody with a set of clubs that's really not appropriately fitted uh, for that particular person's game or, or approach and more often than not what happens is you know they've spent a, a small fortune let's say in, in some cases and are not really playing with the equipment that would best suit their abilities at at that time. so um, you know that's an, a, a thing that we have to be be careful of as well. Um I just want to make uh, a quick note here. We're gonna try and uh move forward here and hopefully he'll be able to join us again. Uh I think John's having a little bit of a technical issue on his side. He uh his call got dropped and he's having some difficulty uh calling back in. So um when he joins us we'll we'll uh we'll bring him on, on board again. But uh, in the meantime we've got to keep things moving. So, Peter, I'm gonna jump back to you and we're gonna move into the sort of the next phase, if you will. Um, and that is golf lessons for beginners um where should beginners start what's
0: the best start for a beginner um ask people i mean ask your friends ask your friends that play golf and ask them to recommend someone to go see and and talk to that person and and get a sense of You know, what's comfortable for you to start? What's the comfortable time commitment? What's the comfortable um, monetary investment? Um, And go from there. I mean, the best thing to do is ask for help. Um, And because it, it can be a lot. You can go online. You can Google search, you know, golf lessons for beginners. And you could find, you can get lost in that forest very quickly because there's a number of options that right you're just not sure about. Um, so just like anything else that you do, um, you're asking for a good hairstylist to go to or a good barber or someone to work on your house or anything that you need help with that you're really unsure about. Uh, you're going to ask your friends and, you know, sure. Start the year first and then, um, you know, have a conversation with the person they recommend and, and hopefully they're, you know, a person that is, you know, genuine and wants to help you. Um, and And, you know, right. Go ahead. Well,
2: I was going to say, what about an, uh, you know, once you've um, done that step and now you've, you've uh, maybe found somebody that you're interested in, from the teacher professional's uh, standpoint, there's sort of an assessment process. Um, talk a little bit about that, what what a, a new beginner should expect once they've selected the teacher or coach that they want to work with or, or uh, commit to some lessons. Um, at that point, the, you know, the, the instructor is going to sort of put them through an assessment to, gauge where they are and if they're a beginner obviously they know they're they're starting from ground zero but what should be typically um a new person or new beginning golfers experience um when they first meet with their uh with their instructor what should be they expect from that first meeting
0: um it's going to depend for sure and i can just tell you what i do with beginners is um I want to talk and get to know them as much as possible, just as a, as a person first, um, get to know, you know, what their past experiences are, what, you know, kind of anything they've done, um, whether it be sports or hobbies or, um, just cause it gives me and idea, a better knowledge of who that person is, um, how they can relate to learning how to play golf, um, I don't have this very formal
3: um,
0: evaluation process, other than, you know, your 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 very standard TPI um, physical evaluation to help me understand them better. Um, but that that's the extent of it for me personally. Um, if a person that is just beginning and you know hopefully they're going to look for something similar to that where,
4: um, you
0: know, hopefully not getting put through um, the same kind of shot evaluation process that a, a regular golfer would. I, I, I would. I would use that as a if, – if they're a beginner golfer and they're going to someone new or someone for the first time and they're getting put through your standard – evaluation that every other regular golfer gets through, I would caution them as a red flag. But for me in particular, it's it's absolutely about getting to know them as the person, uh, furnishing them with some clubs that we have for them um, so that they don't feel pressured to need to uh, borrow clubs or, um, or feel like they need to go into someone's basement or whatever. Um, that's just, how I approach it and I think that's the best way I can explain it
2: right no well said all right guys I'm going to try something very uh quickly here uh as I said John's been having some uh problems in his area uh not sure if it's the the cell area or not so I'm going to try and and see if I can connect him here so we'll uh we'll see if we can get him on board here
1: Sorry, I missed I, your call. Nope. Please leave a message, and I'll return nope. your call at my first. No. Nope.
2: <laughs> it went to his voicemail, unfortunately. Well, I apologize for that, um, but uh, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to continue on um, without John, and, and unfortunately, um, we'll have to get him the next time. Um, Paul, I'm going to move on to you then, and I, I apologize, uh, John, if you're able to. To hear us here um, we're obviously not going to be able to connect tonight and and we'll get you the next time um, Paul I want to I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about what's um, when it comes to lessons what's appropriate um, you know quite often we, we want to get everybody signed up for a group of lessons uh, but for beginning golfers as you know Peter's pointed out with with the equipment and that uh, we want to be careful that we're not overwhelming uh, a lot of our golfers and so when it comes to lessons, maybe some of the beginners that you've had, what do you feel for you? And I mean, I know we can't generalize this, but for your, from your experience, what's appropriate um, to start somebody off with a clean slate?
3: Uh, I think it, it really depends on what they want from the game and, and what they're looking for uh, when they come to the golf course and you know what their, what their lifestyle is, what their work demands are. Um, we, we have to, we have to make golf fit for, uh, people and not try to fit them into a kind of a rigid framework for, uh, the game or, or, you know, learning it in a certain way. So I've had beginners who have, you know, started pretty intermittent private lessons, you know, maybe across a month or more, um, and just came for some information. We got to know each other. We got clubs, gave them some recommendations for, you know, for equipment and then they, and and how to start swinging the club and how to start putting. And then they go off and they do a little bit of experimenting and they play with their, a couple of friends and, you know, have a, have an enjoyable experience and then they're back and they, they want to keep on working on things and, and advancing. Um So I really try not to um, push lesson series necessarily on on brand new golfers. I just want them to have an enjoyable time with me at the golf course in nature, you know, kind of discovering what golf is is about. And then if 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 we can, you know, uh, set the hook so to speak, then then we can try to get them into some more organized. Um, programs. And, and that's when they, you know, will hopefully start spending a little bit more time at the golf course and be a little bit more regular and then their skills will develop and their enthusiasm will develop. So um, I, I don't take a, you know, strict approach um, when it comes to any particular, uh, you know, set of lessons or, or a program. Um, and I think that golf is it's time consuming and resource-intensive uh, as it is, so we have to try to make it work for people.
2: Yeah, well said. And, and I agree with that. I, I think, obviously, we have to treat everybody different, and you know, each individual might have different needs or wants or desires, so we have to, to try to build um, you know, a program around them. And, and it may be just something that they may be testing the waters and, and don't want to really make a, a long-term commitment at this point. So sometimes it's just a matter of introducing to the game. And I think, again, just to to sort of reemphasize what, what Peter was talking about, is we got to be careful that we don't overwhelm them right from the get-go to the point where it, we kind of scare them off. And I think sometimes with a lot of information – um, that's out there right now. You know, again, as as you have mentioned before, uh, Peter and and Paul, I'm sure on the show, you know, everybody's going online. There's a ton of information. You know, everybody's you know acting as a golf guru these days and chiming in for their two cents. And the problem with that is there's a lot of misinformation. There's certainly some good information out there, but there's a lot of misinformation. And for our new golfers out there, the worst thing that they can do is to fall into that trap where they're seeking advice from 20 or 30 different locations and not really knowing if the people that they're getting the information from are even uh, remotely qualified. Um, You know, just because you uh, advertise that, uh, you know, you're the next uh, latest, greatest thing out there uh, doesn't mean necessarily so. And, uh, you know, a a lot of people get that information and they go out and they try it out on the golf course or the, the practice range and it doesn't work and they get more frustrated more disgruntled and ultimately uh you know get left with a sort of a sour taste in their mouth and uh, ultimately don't want to uh to move forward so we have to be careful of that um and, and guys I want you to each sort of comment on this and and Peter I'm going to go back to you um and again I realize it's 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 sort of a, a variable here but uh practice sessions you know, we want them to to get out there. We want them to practice when we are working with them. But let's be realistic in, in, in how we approach this. How much time should a new golfer realistically be willing to invest um, before they're going to start to see some noticeable results?
0: I encourage you know just all golfers and you know beginners especially I want 20 minutes of just really focused practice and I I'm always happy to give them you know three or just send them an email um, of three or four options um, of practice program for them to just execute that's going to be very focused, be very, very, you know, have them switching club every time and give them, you know, I encourage them to give themselves benchmarks. And um, a lot of it's point based and not to get wrapped up in the fact of those points being nothing more than very personal, personal uh, goals to just do, do better next time. But um, any more than half an hour, uh, you end up reaching a point of diminishing return uh, and the quality of the reps, the, the key factor definitely sets in. Um, and I'm always encouraging them to, I kind of, I tell them the environment and the way they can practice with, you know, not by dumping out the balls right next to the hitting area, keeping the balls back, you know, uh, you know 10 feet or so away from where they're hitting you know, just have one ball at a time at their hitting area, make, make the reps count. Just don't have it in a kind of automatic hit and break situation. Um, this is all stuff that I just like to explain to them and educate them on and, you know, and, and give them the resources they need to, you know, spend 20 minutes, um, two or three times a week, maybe if, when they have time, um, If not, I'm really encouraging them to go play, um, to spend an hour playing. If you have have that hour, play three holes. Um, You know, and I give them a game to play that's scaled, scaling golf to be, you know, on the easiest side of playing the game. I have them picking up the ball a lot and, you know, really practicing a form of practicing on the golf course. So, it it just an hour on the golf course or 20 minutes at the range or practice area is, is great. Yeah.
2: Um and, and and that's a great way to approach it too. I mean, you know, a lot of times we see people get out on the practice tee or the range and, you know, they're spending an hour or so, and fatigue starts to set in. I mean, I don't care, you know, how good a shape you're in. Um, You know, you've got to – and also, you know, even boredom. I mean, as much as I love hitting golf balls and that, I know after a certain period of time it it just gets to be a little bit too much, and I need to get away from that. And I think in this day and age, you know, certainly depending on the level of play you want – Uh, to accomplish, you certainly have to be mindful of that. Uh, Paul, I want to ask you uh, in a slightly different way. You know, Peter's uh, very eloquently uh, pointed out a time frame, what he feels is comfortable that he likes to recommend as far as how much time uh, that we want them out there practicing. But a lot of people will ask me the question, they'll say, "Well, okay, you know, I'm going to sign up for some lessons here or I'm going to get into a, a coaching program how long realistically am I going to have to be working with you to see some results? And I know, again, it's going to vary from coach to coach and, and, and teach a professional, but in a realistic sense so that people understand what they're dealing with, how much time on average do you feel that a beginning golfer is going to be able to noticeably see some improvement if they're applying the techniques and the information that we're giving them, should they start to see some improvement?
3: Uh, I think it depends a lot on the person's athletic background and just their personal history um, and any injuries they have, you know, things like that that have are going to have an effect on or an impact on uh, how they move and how they swing golf club. But um, I, I think sometimes it can be pretty quick. Um, and, you know, it just, um, it depends a lot on the individual. Sometimes um, I think it's just a matter of, of uh, you know, days or a couple of weeks. And if the person's putting in time uh, in between lessons and, and, you know, they're, they have a passion for it, then, then they'll see some, some change pretty quickly. And, you know, hopefully they'll start to feel what it's like to hit a solid golf shot and, and um, they'll be off to the races. You know, it's a lot of it's about uh, the the amount of time that you spend on a repetitive kind of basis, not chunks, big blocks of time. I think Peter's right, absolutely right. <clears throat> Excuse me about not not spending more than twenty or thirty minutes working on on a particular skill, um, whether that's full swing or you know short game, chipping or or putting. Um, but if you were to do the twenty minutes every day and you're dealing with some good information, uh, and you have a history of throwing or, you know, hitting a forehand in tennis or something, you know, that resembles a golf swing, you should see some change pretty quickly and you should start to feel it. So, um, it's, I think a direct re- uh, relationship to the amount of time and, and the regularity, uh, you know, the practice.
2: Right and 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 i agree with that as well i think that you know one of the biggest problems that i think a lot of golfers put on themselves is um unrealistic expectations uh and what i mean by that is you know they'll sign up for let's say a, a block of five lessons um and they might be a couple of weeks apart and more often than not they went out won't get out and play. They might get out and practice once or twice in that two-week period, and by the time the next lesson comes, they've forgotten what was taught the first lesson, or, or have you know maybe a slightly different version of of what they were taught. And because they haven't really put it into practice, they haven't even gone out and played around. Uh, and so you're almost starting from from that ground zero again. You know, come lesson number two, and you know, I think this is the the frustration that happens both for the student and for the golf professional, because obviously, you know, we want them to improve. We want them to, to get excited about the game. But more often than not, because of time restraints and maybe other obligations, they're not able to put in the time, as Peter suggested or, or Paul, as you did, um, you know, within within the uh, parameters of, of, of the lesson block that they're working with. And I've seen that, you know, in my own situation with – Um, some of the corporate people that I work with, they'll say, well, you know, I want to do a tune-up this year, and I'll say, great, let's get out there. And I'll ask them the next time they show up, and, well, I, you know, I was delayed in meetings a lot, and and I just didn't get out there, and they wonder why they're not seeing an improvement. So that's an issue as well. I think that we have to make sure early on when we speak with the students what their level of commitment is and, and what they honestly expect to see what kinds of results they expect to see and whether or not we're, we're sort of on the same page. Um, What are your thoughts there, Peter? And and then Paul.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I see that a lot, Um, but a lot of what I do, you know, what you want to do with people and is just to be there to help be a resource. And if that's the, if that's a constraint, um, then you need to, as their coach, appreciate that fact and tailor what you're doing to accommodate what their, right. their work demands, work their family demands are. And what you're going to address with that particular person is going to be very different than what you're going to talk about with someone that's going to have a, a different time availability, we'll say, or, um, at that point, I, if they're a regular golfer and you're more talking about the beginner, um, right? I don't know if I don't know if a beginner is going to come to you unless they're really looking. I mean, most commonly I've seen is someone in a corporate setting, like you just said, um, where they need yes. to be able to play just a, a respectable game of golf, and you know, I'm going right towards contact first just enabling them to make very good contact. And if, if that comes with some direction control, fabulous. Um, If not, it's, it's, you know, it's a a different conversation to have. And if they have the time to have it, I'm happy to have that conversation. But um, the, the biggest thing you can work on first and foremost, in that situation for um, a beginner golfer or, someone who might be a regular golfer that just has, um, not just really big time constraints and demands, um, is, is definitely right to quality of contact.
2: Yeah. And, and I think you're, you're exactly right, Peter. I think to that initial con, and this is why I pointed it out earlier and, and wanted you guys to talk about this is, is the initial contact, um, and conversations that we have, You know, I think that something that as golf professionals, I think that we need to recognize is, you know, we are dealing with a much different market than what we were say 20 or 30 years ago uh, in the golf industry. Um, You know, time restrictions are are much more rigid um, than what they were at that time. And the types of golfers that we're getting coming out now are even different. Um, Their personalities are different. So, I think really what I I want people to take away from both sides of this, from the player side or or the beginning golfer side and the coaches out there that might be tuning in tonight is we have to be willing to adapt to the marketplace. And I think if we're unwilling and unable to uh, uh, do that, then we're not really doing uh, the industry uh, uh, justice or or service Um, because it is a changing, It's, it's like any other market. It's a constantly ever changing market. And it's not just a matter of being updated on the latest and greatest um, you know instructional techniques, but also um, or even marketing techniques, but it's understanding the human behavior. You know, Peter, you kind of alluded to this earlier is you know you wanted to get to know the individuals that you're dealing with. and it's about building relationships. It's about building and developing a relationship with the golfer and understanding what their wants, needs, and desires are. And I think as golf instructors, Um, the way of of just sort of the standard lesson programs that we've all sort of been brought up on, uh, certainly some that are in my age category anyways, uh, is entirely different. And it's it's more important now that we adapt to an ever-changing market. Otherwise, we're going to continue to see declines in certain areas of the golf market. Um, It's, you know, the the stats don't lie. So, um, you know, an interesting discussion. Um, I, I think it's one that, you know, can have a lot of parameters to it, but I just wanted to sort of, uh, you know, brush across some of the, the general things that I think that as a new golfer out there that might be listening, um, that they should at least consider at the very most. Um, and and as always, guys, you did a great job. Let me just say, um, for those that uh, are maybe just tuning in part part ways through this conversation, we were talking a little bit about um, you know some ideas and thoughts uh, for some great from some great professionals here. Uh, for that new golfer out there that's maybe thinking about dipping their toe in the sand, if you will, uh, or in the water and, and trying, uh, you know, golf out for the first time. Uh, If you're just joining us now, you want to listen to the broadcast a little bit uh, later on and listen to the early part and hopefully we'll give you some good information. I also just want to make a a quick side note uh, and extend uh, apologies on behalf of uh, my good friend, John Hughes. Uh, Unfortunately, down in Orlando, he was having some, uh, uh, network issues with uh, his cell service uh, and phone service. So uh, he wasn't able to to uh, call back in and we did uh, try to reach out to him. And unfortunately, uh, because of that, uh, we weren't able to connect. So he extends uh, his apologies and uh, guarantees that he will be uh, fresh and ready uh, next time on the Coach's Corner panel uh, when he's scheduled. But uh, uh, Paul and, and Peter, thank you for, for doing uh, a fantastic job tonight and, and, uh, and stepping up and, and filling in uh, for John as well. Um, uh, Peter, before we, uh, we go off, uh, this segment of the show, uh, if you want to just let the, the listeners know that maybe, uh, maybe they want to take that, that, uh, first little step in, in learning to play golf, how they can go about reaching you.
0: Yeah, no, thanks Ted and Paul. It's always great, you know, spending time with you on the phone and, um, let's talk after this, but if people want Absolutely. to, if people want to reach out to me, um, I'm really proud to be at Taconic Golf Club, which is right on the campus of Williams College in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Um, it's quite literally the most northwestern corner of the state of Massachusetts, uh, but it is beautiful and an incredible place. Um, they can find me at gogolfcoach.com, um, and also um, mainly on Instagram. I'm the most active, and I'm at uh, dailygolf.coach. Um on Instagram. I also have Facebook and Twitter, um, but I am definitely the most active on Instagram and uh, thanks for having me on again, Ted. It's uh, definitely always a pleasure. Well, I,
2: I appreciate it. And um,
0: you know, as I say, we,
2: you know, the the whole purpose uh, of the coach's corner is really to, to have that discussion and allow not just the, the, the listeners who, who maybe are looking to get into the game uh, or maybe are, are have been playing the game for a while. Hopefully, we can give them some some things to consider. Uh, but also for our fellow coaches and and teach professionals that are out there, uh, sometimes we need a little bit of a refresher. We need to get some of this information um, and and rethink our, our approach. Uh, as I said uh, a few moments ago, it's an ever-changing uh, industry, and uh, you know we have to make sure that um, that we stay on top of things, not just as far as certifications and things like that but also uh an ever changing market because the, the needs and, and wants and desires of our uh newer golfers particularly is much different than maybe what we've experienced in the past. So we need to understand and really listen to what it is that they want. Um they may not want to be the next Tiger Woods or Rory McElroy or, or Patrick Reed for that matter. Um, they might just want to go out and, and have a little bit of fun once in a while. So we need to really listen to that. Um, Paul, what about you? How can the folks uh, that may be listening to the show tonight want to reach out? Maybe they're thinking of taking up the game or maybe they've been in the game for a little while and need a quick tune up uh, to get things uh, sharp and ready for a new season.
3: How can they reach you? Uh, Ted, thanks again so much for having me. And, you know, Peter, it was great to be on with you and, and John too, if you're listening, sorry, we weren't able to finish, but, um, I'm uh, the director of instruction at Forest Gate Golf Academy. Uh, Forest Gate Country Club is uh, in central New Jersey and Monroe. We've got uh, 36 holes of championship golf, uh, golf digest, best in state golf course, um, and our website is ForestGateGolfacademy.com. I also have my own uh, website, which is PaulCasterGolf.com, uh, and I am also on Instagram, uh, like Peter, uh, and my handle is golf. And, um, uh, between those, you should, you should be able to find me. And, and it would be great if, uh, if anyone listening, uh, wanted to come down and visit us at Forsgate. uh, we've got a great facility and, and we'd love to help
0: you.
2: Well, guys, um, again, thank you for, for doing a great job tonight in coach's corner. And, and, uh, and, uh, I know John thanks you as well for, uh, for filling in for him a little bit uh, as well when you could, um, Keep up the great work. You guys uh, do a phenomenal job uh, both here on the Coach's Corner panel and, of course, in your respective uh, communities uh, helping to grow this game. So keep up the great work, and I'll see you next time on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, Ted.
0: Thanks, Ted. Talk to you soon.
2: All right. Bye-bye. All right. Good night, guys. All right. That was my very special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Peter Agazarian and, of course, Paul Castor. extended apologies on behalf of john hughes uh former orlando unfortunately uh ran into some technical issues on his end and wasn't able to uh uh, to reconnect with the with the program tonight but uh, i know john will be uh ripe and ready to go uh next time on the coaches corner panel so we look forward to having him join us back all right i'm very excited uh tonight for a couple of reasons Uh, my very special guest uh, Greg Thorner is, is going to be joining me here, and I'll tell you a little bit about him in just a second. But let me just remind uh, the listeners uh, some of the ways that you can tune into the program. Uh, obviously, first and foremost, you want to go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live is the main show link. And uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, um, right front and center right there, and you can listen to the show Uh, in its entirety uh, during the live broadcast. You can even call into the show if you want to uh, say hello and and maybe chat with uh, some of the guests that are on. And to do so, you can call uh, area code 646-716-4667. Or you can email me any questions or comments about the show to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. If you're someone that prefers to listen under a different uh, social media platform, here are some other great ways that you can tune into the show as well. Uh, You can go to itunes.com stitcher.com and now tune in.com and simply under the podcast section uh just type in golf talk live and that will take you uh in those respective platforms as well and as i said earlier i update on social media all of the uh, uh the shows each and every week uh, who's going to be on the coaches corner panel and of course who my special guests uh is going to be so uh you can find me on facebook under my personal name it's ted odorico and it's o-d-o-r-i-c-o uh you can also go to golf talk live blog uh that page there um, and find it, uh, as well on Facebook, uh, or you can find under LinkedIn, under my, uh, personal posts under Ted Odarico. Again, go to LinkedIn.com for those of you that, uh, communicate on that, uh, social network. And, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, CEOs in capital letters. Uh, and thanks for all of the recent followers as well. Uh, getting some great messages through Twitter as well. All right. uh, I've been trying to get this gentleman uh, to come on the show for for a few years, and he's been uh, pretty busy. And we're going to talk a little bit about what he's uh, been up to uh, over the last uh, few years. Uh, And his name is Greg Thorner. He's a a great golf professional of uh, the Tampa, Florida area. Uh, He's also the owner of break 30, the improvement movement. Uh, Greg, of course, worked for years uh, in Asia uh, for the David Ledbetter golf Academy, mainly in the Shanghai area. Uh, He was named by Asia, Uh, golf times in 2003 as the asian golf instructor of the year Uh, he started focusing on the short game because as he says i absolutely love it and who doesn't The short game is always uh, one of the best uh, areas to to be practicing and and enjoying Uh, he grew up on a course in michigan that of course didn't have a range so all he could do was really chip and putt at the time Uh, but in his heart he said uh, teaching the short game uh was was what was most on his heart uh, but many of his business mentors and professionals uh, said you need to get a niche. Um, but he was more drawn to what his students wanted, and that was to be able to score better. So without further hesitation, let me bring on my very special guest this
4: evening, Greg Thorner. Hey, hey Greg, and welcome you, to Golf Talk Live. <laughs> hey, thank you, Ted. How are you <laughs> doing? Thank you. Glad to be here. Excellent. Thank you.
2: All right. Well, I I appreciate it. Um, Well, Greg, as I I sort of alluded to, uh, you know, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a few years now, and and we finally made it happen, so I appreciate you uh, uh, giving some time because I know it's not always easy after a a long day of teaching and and working at our craft that sometimes you just want to kick back and relax, but uh, I appreciate you giving of your time, and and I know the audience will enjoy it. So I want to start off by talking a little bit about your experience over in Asia, Um, obviously it's a much different market than here in the United States. Um, how did that sort of come about? How did you, uh, sort of get in in, over there and, and, uh, and how did you find working with the David, uh, David Ledbetter golf Academy?
4: Excellent. Yeah. Well, for me, I just found that, uh, one day when I was at the PGA show, I remember looking around, seeing a bunch of golf professionals and it, it, and this is not a knock on my fellow professionals because I I, I enjoy them and I enjoy being a golf professional myself. But I looked around, everybody was dressed mm-hmm. in khaki pants, navy blazer, white shirt, and a tie. And you could pick out the golf professionals right. from the rest of the people walking around pretty easy. And I thought, you know what, when you go to to uh, differentiate yourself from from other people in this field – you know, what What would set you apart? So I kind of started brainstorming and thinking about that and think about, you know, what would I do that would be a tremendous life experience, you know, that I would someday have the opportunity to share with my three children that I have and, you know, and mm-hmm. share with the students and what would maybe make me a better golf instructor, a better person, and, and just give myself uh, something different. And I kept racking my brain, racking my brain, and finally I came, you know, working overseas. Well, one right. long story short… Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to present itself through the David Leveter Golf Academies, and it was actually in China and of all places. I was like shocked. I was like, China. And um, it, it <laughs> tend to work out. I was in the cards, and off I went.
2: So what you know for you know we've seen a, a sort of a big surge in in recent times uh, in the last um, probably better than a decade of a lot of Asian players coming in, particularly on the, the LPGA tour, but even uh, on some of the, uh, the males tours, the, the PGA and, and uh, even the senior tour. Um, how is it different in that? Or what do you notice differently? Obviously, there's some cultural differences and things like that um, over in Asia than there is here in the United States. But as far as uh, golfers, newer golfers particularly, is there a difference in how they approach the game uh, to maybe some of the, the folks that you've worked with over here in, in the United States?
4: Yeah, uh, great question. I think the newer golfers, you know, I would like to say like the, the average golfer, like our typical country club golfer, a guy who golfs two, three times a month over there and over here are very, very, very similar. They approach the game the same. The courses right. are the same. You know, there there's a, a lot of the same stuff that goes on between here and there. Uh, the, the golfers that we see on TV, the surge, especially like the, the Korean girls on the LPGA tour, you know, even like you mentioned some of the male golfers that are now surging there. Um, I think for them as young kids, they train, it's, it's almost like a little more of a survival. I think that for them, my opinion, I watched a lot of kids that would just play golf all day long as a way to feel like they could get out of poverty or get, get, get something special in their life, you know, and they, they tend to do that in anything, whether it be either their special sport in the Olympics, whether it be golf or whatever it may be, but they tend to, uh, to really excel there.
2: Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what I've noticed, and I think this is why they have dominated so much, particularly on the Alpine. I mean, you see a, a much bigger, uh, array of of asian golfers on the lpj tour than i'm sure you do in the men's tour um but i mean you see a, a lot of uh young asian girls that come onto the tour and literally will dominate um their respective positions i mean you know siri pack and and i mean uh, uh, n b park and, and there's you know a hundred liter- yeah I, lydia ko exactly um, is playing quite well uh, in, in this uh, the current t- tournament right now. But, you know, there just seems to be a little different mindset in their work ethic as far as how they approach the game. And I remember a few years ago, um, that was brought up, I think it was on the Golf Channel, and they were talking about that. Um, and, and again, this is not to, again, to criticize some of our U.S. players and that, but I think that there is a different approach to how they um, it's less about marketing themselves or branding themselves as opposed to just let's get out there, let's grind it out, let's get a few wins under and worry about the accolades later. Do you have that sort of same feeling as well or have you noticed that as well or am I uh, am I completely wrong? Yeah,
4: No, I 1,000% I agree with you and that's kind of what I was trying to allude to there that I think you're spot on there that it is, it's more of a grind out and consequently this is just my own belief after spending years over there that I don't know whether they're doing more harm or they're doing more more good for golf because, sure, there's a lot of people, and not a lot, but there's a small percentage of people that are actually succeeding on these tours. But there's thousands and thousands that are putting eight hours a day in. They're letting school get neglected. They're letting their friendships get neglected. They're letting everything else with this dream of hoping to make it in golf or even basketball or tennis or whatever their sport may be. And I think they just get so focused. And I always wondered when I was over there, are they missing a lot of the life skills and a lot of the lifetime, uh, you know, things that we experiences that we get. And I just, uh, you know, have a wonder if it's good or bad.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I, I remember early. Um, you know, obviously uh, I'm in my uh, early to mid 50s, so I've been around the block for a little bit. But you know, I can remember watching some of the earlier players come out of Japan and, 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 and obviously uh, parts of Korea. And it was just a, an entirely different uh, work discipline. Um, you know, mm-hmm. especially when they come over here and if they were playing, uh, you know, playing collegiate golf, I mean, obviously they wanted to get into a good university, get a good education, uh, but they wanted to be able to get on uh, a, a good golf team, uh, you know, ladies golf team f- uh, for, you know, whatever college they were attending. Um, But they were real grinders. And if you look at their career very early on, before they even get to the big stage, um, you see a lot of them are, uh, you know, all Americans, Uh, you know, meaning that they're, um, you know, just very accomplished players before they've actually even hit the LPGA tour. So, uh, you know, I I think it's just a different work ethic. And as you say, maybe they're sacrificing in other areas. Um, You know, I I don't know. Obviously I haven't been over there and you've, had a better understanding from, from your time over there, but obviously it was a great experience. How long were you over there for Greg?
4: Pardon me? How long was I over there?
2: How long? Yeah. How long were you over there?
4: Uh, about 12 years total.
2: Wow. So you, you definitely were well immersed, uh, in the culture and, and had an idea of, uh, not just working, but a, a better understanding of their, their culture. And I think as you pointed out early, um, what a great life experience for you as well to see um, how somebody else lives.
4: Yeah, it was, it was tremendous. I, I, I loved it and I did see a lot of it. I agree, Jen.
2: Fantastic. Um, now, one of the uh, things that obviously we want to talk about tonight is uh, your Break 30, um, the improvement movement.
0: How did you come mm-hmm. up with
2: the name? And for those uh, that maybe are newer to golf, what, what what are you talking about when you say Break30? I know what you're talking about, but for the for the you know listeners out there, what does Break30 mean, and, and what's your analogy of, of your program?
4: So basically, there was a, a company out there, and I, they were a European company, and they had the terminology Break30 before I did, and I contacted them. They went out of business. I contacted them and said, hey, I like the name. I'd like to use it. And nobody responded. Nobody responded. Finally, I got an email from him back saying, "Hey, we're out of business. If you want to use it, you know, we're we're done. Go ahead." So I'm like, "Hey, fantastic!" Right. Um, break thirty to me was it's kind of like a symbol of getting below twenty nine putts per round, and with focusing on short game, I felt like it was a good benchmark that people could have as a goal. I'm not sure it's the necessarily the best statistical uh, st- statistic to look at but it's just kind of a, it's a, it's a catchy name. It's a way for people to remember me. It's a way for somebody to have a simple goal. You can always keep your score and putts in the scorecard. And if you're wedging it well and you're putting it well, I think even the average person uh, has the ability to get below 30 putts per round, which is what most tour players have in a good round of golf.
2: Right. And, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of, of our regular golfers out there, Focus at the other end of the game they're you know all about wanting to hit great drives, and certainly you know we want to keep it in the short grass, but at the same time, they spend more time on the range trying to perfect their driver and little time on the on the uh, the putting green working on an area that is is crucial i mean if you look at the stats of most of the tour plo- uh, top tour players, uh, certainly they're fairly accomplished drivers of the ball, um, but they're more their prowess is more at the short game and particularly on the putting surface, the guys that are, they're winning in, you know, week in, week out. Uh, and obviously that's the yeah. niche that, that you really wanted, wanted to create. So Greg, let me ask you this because, you know, in the opening information that I read in your bio, you know, you talk yeah. about how you really wanted to focus on the short game. Um, it's not mm-hmm. the most, um, You know, it's not always the most fun for a lot of people out there. As I said, they they want to you know stripe at 250 plus yards with their driver. What do you do to try to encourage your students to understand that it's the short game that's going to reduce their score? What do you, how do you sell that to them?
4: Well, you know, I think that what really started me is I'll start real quick and I'll tell you a short story about how they sold it to me originally and really got me. Okay pursuing what I love the most is when I worked for David Ledbetter and we had these, these golf schools, I remember we'd come in, we'd get players to work on it and we'd work on the full swing a ton and we'd spend about an hour on the short game. And then they would go out and play on their own the next day they would report back to us. And the common theme was, is like, Oh man, I love to work on my full swing. I didn't hit it good. You know, I was shooting 90 when I got here. Last night we don't play, I shot 102, but you know, I feel like if I work on, I'm on the right path. But guess what? I chipped in once. Yep. So I chipped in twice. The short game stuff was amazing. I got it right away, and I just got thinking about that. And I thought, well, who wants to get worse before they get better? And I find this a lot in golf instruction. As you start to change the full swing, as you start right. to do something different, it feels uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it feels uncomfortable, and they tend to get worse. And I didn't really want that in my short, in my my golf schools. When I decided to leave LeBar and do my own golf school, I didn't really really want people to get worse before they get better. And I thought in the short game, right. no one ever got worse before they got better. They immediately started getting better right from the start. So that's kind of where it came from. And the start is they dictated to me with saying how much better they got instantly. And then it, it, it allowed mm-hmm. me to, 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 to breach out and put a, uh, you know, a hundred a percent money back guarantee on it, saying, look, I want to be the only golf school that I've ever found that gives a hundred percent money back guarantee. matter of fact, I get a little deposit from people up front, but they don't pay for the school until the end of the school. After they say, after I can talk to them, say, "Hey, look, did we meet your expectations? Did we exceed your expectations? If we did, then we'll charge. If we didn't, where did we fail? You know, did you improve? And as long as they say sure. yes to those answers, they feel like they have a plan. They improved, then we charge their credit card. Then.
2: Yeah, and that's a great way. Where and I wanted to, uh, I was going to ask you that anyways, but um, but that's a great point because. You know, a lot of times it, it's also an incentive for the instructor to make sure that the information that they're giving them is also being received. I mean, it's very easy once, as you say, you swipe the credit card, you've got their money now, and a lot of times, you know, things fall by the wayside. This is a great way for you to really um, make sure you're doing the very best that you can. And obviously there's going to be some situations where people are just not, uh, you know, Learning as as much as they should, or and, and that's no reflection on you. But this is a great way to give them an incentive to say, hey, you know what? They're actually interested in making sure that I'm successful in this process, and it's not just all about signing me up for some lessons and, huh. and so on and so forth. And that's well, a that's a great sales uh, approach as well. Go ahead, and
4: Ted. Let me let me just kind of jump in right there because what I can do with that statement that you just made right there ties right back into what I, the number one thing I learned when I came home from Asia was when I was a golf instructor, before I went over there to Butler national Chicago. And I was amazed at how many times I gave lessons and I would talk to people and say, Hey, do you understand this? Or do you get it? Do you like it? You know, and I try to look for you back and they kind of have a little bit of a blank stare in their face, and maybe shaking their head. Yes. And they would say, yeah, I get it. I understand it. But because of me just taking them at their word and not really understanding how to read them as well. I believed them and moved on. When I went to Asia, I didn't have the ability to speak Chinese to them when I first got right. there. Well, long story short, I could tell on their face going through my translator that, Hey, this guy doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He may shake his head. Yes. I don't care what my translator tell me. I can read and tell you he's not getting it right now. So I think that one of the strengths of my golf right. is be able to read people and understand if they do get it or if they don't get it now. So that kind of ties right back into what you were saying there.
2: Right. And, and, you know, communication is a big thing. And and as I was saying earlier on the panel discussion tonight, you know, it, it's about building relationships with people. It's not just about signing somebody up for golf lessons. It's about building and developing a relationship. And when you build a level of trust with your students that, that they feel confident that what you're showing them is going to help improve Uh, their game long-term, then they're going to continue to come back. Um, But it's important as an instructor that we make sure that they understand what it is we're explaining. One of the criticisms I have of the golf industry today, and and I'm sure you you may or may not agree, is with all of the technology that's out there, as exciting, as interesting as it is, Greg, the problem is it's way over the head of most students. And the trap that some teachers have gotten into is it's all about impressing people with the numbers and not really finding out if their students truly understand what it is they're being taught because the instructors are caught up in the numbers as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, most people, don't, most people don't want to feel like they're, you know, dumb or, or stupid, so they're going to agree and say, oh, yeah, I understand what you're talking about. And But in reality, they don't realize, uh, you know, what it is you're trying to explain to them. So this is why communication and understanding and being able to read your student uh, becomes critical, and, and obviously this is something that you've um, worked on for for over uh, you know several uh, decades in your instruction. Uh, yeah. Something that that really stood out, yeah. Something that really stood out to me, Greg, about uh, your program was this: is uh, you know many of the instructors. Of course, we're both in Florida. You're you're down in Tampa, and I'm up here in uh, just outside of Destin in Panama City Beach, Florida. So we have the the yep. luxury of of playing in some pretty warm climates. Uh, A lot of golf instructors will come down to Florida for part of the season and play uh, up in, uh, in the Northeast, uh, uh, you know, for another part, maybe because that's where they uh, typically reside. Um, But you actually visit 30 cities a year and to, to run uh, your two day learning experiences. Tell us a little bit about that. What was the reasoning behind uh, sort of taking it on the road, if you will, and, and give us an idea of where you're traveling to.
4: Yeah, sure. So, I guess it, it it kind of started out with I I really enjoyed the golf school format. That's what I was trained in when I worked for Lab Better. You know, that's what I that's what uh you know the two and three day learning experiences when I felt that people need to really get that message across and I I kind of felt at this time that the one hour lesson model was broke that that people weren't really getting to the reaching their full potential. It was just my opinion. I'm not saying, you know, that 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 it doesn't work for some, but in in my opinion, I I like the getting with people for a couple of days to work this out. And what I found was it was a little bit pricey, you know, when, when, when you ask people to travel down and name the, the cost of the school itself and the hotel and the meals and stuff like that. And right. when I started learning things um, in the the business side, not just the golf side of things, it's okay. Well, you, you need to niche down. You need to differentiate yourself. And you know, that went right back to the PGA show. I talked about all the guys with the khaki pants and the Navy blue blazers. I need right. to differentiate myself. Right. I thought, you know, I'll do short game, okay, you know, and short game work was, was fantastic because my heart was in it, and I loved it, but when I, I found mm. that, uh, you know, that, that people weren't as into the short game as I was, so I needed to, to kind of even niche it down even more, and then I decided, okay, to cut down those expenses, it's a lot cheaper for one person, for me to say, go to Louisville, Kentucky, than it is for someone from Louisville, Kentucky, to tra- or for people from Louisville, Kentucky to travel down here to Tampa. So I, I just thought, right. and it would be a unique experience for me to go to them. They could sleep in their own bed at night. They could still tuck their kids in or make the kids, you know, T-ball game or something at night or little league game or soccer game. And it just, I, I tried a couple of schools. I did one down in uh, in, in Palm Beach just to try and see if it would work. I had some uh, members from Belmont Country Club just to, uh, to use it as a little blueprint to try it. I tried it, got tremendous right. feedback from it, and it worked. And then I I tried throwing some things out on Twitter saying, hey, would it be better for you to go to a school or would it be better if the school came to you? You know, and and overwhelmingly, the response was, hey, if you could come to my town, that would be outstanding. You know, save me. I don't have to take time off work, you know, things like that. And there was just a plethora of reasons why it was better for me to go to them. And that's how it came about.
2: You know, and that's really a a great idea, Greg. I I commend you for that because, you know, really when you think about that, again, especially in today's market, uh, you know, as I was alluding to earlier in the program on Coach's Corner Panel, you know, a lot of people are under time restraints uh, to take time off, not only the two days to, to, you know, be involved in the school, Mm -hmm. but then they've got to add travel time on there as well. So now maybe you're looking at three or four uh, days or five days, depending on where they're coming from, and then add those nights in a hotel room on top of you know what you're charging for the school, that's a lot for um, a lot of people today. and exactly. for you to have to come up and stay in and, and have you know three or four or five students in one school setting uh, is very economical for you to to do and to set up. So mm-hmm. I, I like the way you've done that. Now, you were telling me the other day uh, the other morning on the phone, uh, you know, you've been doing mm-hmm. it 30 cities. You're you're actually expanding that now. You uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You're going to what 35 now?
4: Well, not yet, not yet. I think that that's going to be the plan going forward. I've I've had people reach out to me saying, Hey, you know, would you be interested to coming to this city? Would you be interested to coming to this city? And because of the the interest that our people have, then then the plan is for maybe 2019 to get to that, but not right yet. That will be it in the future. Thank okay. you.
3: But
2: you know, you're yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. And I mean, obviously, you know, once you start that initiative, which you have done now, and you know, as I mean, yeah. thirty cities is is you know a, a great accomplishment to be able to do that. Um, the other thing that I, I want to get you to to share a little bit about, Greg, is um, you talk about teaching a system. Talk a little bit about that yes. and some of the things that that you focus on. That maybe some
4: of the others don't focus on. Sure. I think that uh, the biggest thing when I started teaching short games I, I, I asked people, you know, what club are you using here? And the, the biggest thing was is they said, Oh, well if I got plenty of green to work with, the rule of thumb is you you do the bump and run. If the pins tucked and I gotta go over a bunker, or I gotta have to go over even a bush or something, well then I take the lob wedge out and I hit the I hit the sixty. The and I just felt like there was mm-hmm. so much more to it than that, you know. The, nobody ever talked about well, what was my lie? Did I have access to the back of the ball? Was it rough? Was it hard pan? Not just where the flagstick was in the green, but what do you, what's even between me and the green? Is there room to kind of kind of bump and run it or there and stuff? So I started coming up with right. what I would call my my own system as to which club that I would select. Well, then it kind of moved into. <clears throat> five basic shots that I teach around the green. So this is my my short game system that I created, the five shots uh, uh, that we hit around the green. We have like, you know, uh, and I can get into each shot here in a minute. I'll be glad to, but we have these five shots. Sure. But the thing that separates us, you know, at, at break 30, what I do <clears throat> is I try to focus as much on the how, which every golf instructor does, but I try to really focus as much on the, when and why we hit each shot i think that's just as important i feel like when i talk to students and when i talk to golfers and when i talk to people aren't even in my class and just talk to golfers you ask them well, why are you hitting that nobody really has a concrete answer they don't know what it is so at my school what we do is we really find out okay yeah you're gonna learn the how that's pretty easy. We'll have some ability to follow up. We'll have videos you can have YouTube videos to learn it. you can have you know you'll hear this information in the seminar we will watch you hit shots and correct you there and stuff because we've got two days together. but we're gonna spend a lot of time okay, why do you hit the shot? Why did you pick that club? You know why did you select which one of these five shots we did and I find that when people have a system and they they have a a thought process. To picking each shot and in each club in that system, that they tend to make better better strokes or the better strokes, better swings, better scores.
2: Yeah, and, and you know what, what I like about that, Greg, is is this. You're exactly right. You know, as golf instructors, you know we can show uh, our students how to hit the shot, but more often than not, we also have to be able to teach our students how to play, and that's where the the when and the why come in. Because, you know, there are different situations. As you said, there's different conditions. There's lie conditions. It's not just, as you said, it's not just, um, you know, uh, hitting a bump and run or hitting, lobbing it over uh, a bunker or some other inanimate object. Um, But there's certain times when certain shots are appropriate. And you'd be surprised at how many students out there, and I think this adds to the level of frustration for a lot of golfers, is they understand how to hit the shots but they don't always know when it's appropriate to hit that specific shot. You know, you're exactly right. And, and the pros will even tell you this on tour. They said, I don't know how many times they've played in, in a pro-am event, and they'll see everybody jumping for their lob wedge because they see the pro hitting it on TV. So they figure every time I get around the green, that's what I've got to hit. Uh, I've got to get out my 60-degree you know, lob wedge. And, you know, they're, they're out there lofting it way up in the air um, when maybe they should be hitting a different shot. So I like the fact that you're teaching a system that's giving them some some options and some other things to consider, uh, and then explaining to them why they want to hit that shot in this particular situation, so that they're they're adding to their repertoire. Uh, and I and I like that uh, how you set that up. And I, that's definitely something that I think a lot of uh, instructors need to to really start focusing a little bit more on. Um, one of the other thanks. things too that that sort of stood out to yeah sorry go ahead
4: no 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 thanks I appreciate the the, the compliments there because it you know it's something that I I truly believe in we we work hard on it and and it's we've had you know tremendous success every person that I have taught the short game to you know they if you teach them the how well they get the how but you teach them the when and why, and now not only they get it, but they get it with confidence, and they're approaching each shot with confidence, and they're approaching each shot with a plan rather than just stepping up there, work on the technical side of it. And I think that uh, that's key for us in, in really feeling like we can move forward with everybody's game, not just a few people's game, but everybody's game we can show improvement to.
2: Yeah, and, and this is something – you're exactly right, Greg. This is something that, um, unfortunately, I think the industry as a whole – has really fallen short. You know, there's been so much effort on the technique and getting the pitch perfect swing and, and getting everybody's, you know, alignment, uh, you know, exactly the same. And the truth of the matter is we're all uniquely different. Um, You know, my tempo and timing might be different than yours and, and uh, you know, somebody else. And I think, I think that, unfortunately, the industry for a long time has tried to sort of pigeonhole everybody uh, into the same, uh, you know, methodology, if you will, at times, and even the same swing styles. And it's added a lot of frustration. And But the one area that really wasn't explained as well as it could be is what you're talking about here, and that is the when and the why. The how, you know, yeah. I think we've got that down to a science now. But the when and the why—that's where a lot of golfers struggle on the golf course, and this is why the handicaps, I, I believe, the handicaps have not uh, come down in a long time. So uh, I'm sure you're working very diligently and hard on on helping uh, that happen with with your golfers. So uh, kudos to you. Uh, Thank you. You know, you're welcome. Uh, something else, uh, Greg, that was was uh, I think paramount. Uh, you know, my my background was sales, and this was something that I incorporated. Um, obviously not exactly as what we're going to talk about here in a second, but uh, was the follow-up. And I like the fact that, you know, you don't just go to these schools and, you know, we're working for a couple of days and then that's it until the next time they want to have a school or or do something else. You actually have a a great follow-up program. Talk a little bit about that.
4: Well, I think my my follow-up program developed from my days working at a private club in Boston called Belmont Country Club when I was a teaching pro there is that I would catch people, they'd see me in the locker room, or they'd see me after a, a lesson or two, or even a, a week later, and they'd start asking questions. Go, man, I'm so glad I ran into you. You know, I I, I need to ask you two quick questions. And Boom, boom, and they'd rattle them off. So they, they'd ask me about their grip or about, you know, what, which even club selection, a little bit more of the why even there and stuff. So I thought, you know what, when I get mm-hmm. these people into a golf school, you know, I'm sure they have these same questions because I couldn't walk to the clubhouse at Belmont Country Club without someone asking me a question about a lesson they had even three weeks ago. So right. I kind of start racking my brain and I, I came up with the idea with, with having the ability to reach out to me directly. Uh, if you come to me and, and you trust me enough with your golf game, because let's, let's face it, it's, it's a trust factor. You're going to go to this guy and you say, okay, I'm gonna do sure. what you say. I'm gonna change my my swing around. I'm gonna change my short game. I'm gonna change my thought process, and I'm I'm trusting that you're gonna put me down the right path. Because if you don't, I'm gonna have a miserable summer. So if you trust me enough for that, I should be have enough <laughs> trusting you. You know that 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 okay. We're gonna work on this together and follow up with me. Talk to me. If you start getting just a little bit off, I can probably you know. Do some things over the phone or a Skype lesson or video your phone. have a friend video you, your swing on your phone and send it to me and let's fix this before it gets too bad. you know where 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 it ruins your summer and so what I created was a two ninety program, so the two is the two day golf school. The ninety is ninety days of follow up. so you have ninety days to follow up with me directly, whether it be a Skype, a Facebook Live. Maybe we even set up a, a, a private group where just you and I join it and you post some videos in there and I go in, critique them, send them back, where we're the only two that see this Facebook group, um, a right. Skype call, or even just a, a basic a good old-fashioned phone call. And we just talk about it and And see if I can't help you through that. But the whole point of it is, is I want you to, to feel like if you come to my golf school and you invest the money and the time and the commitment to make it better – that we're going to not let little things derail this process. Even 90 days down the road where too many golf schools, I find, okay, well, you spent your two or three days there, you know, you went to the to the school, you saw them, Well, now you're on your own. Now, what do you do? You get back home, you've got some questions, you know, if you're, you're back in Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, and, and Greg's down in Tampa. Well, now I go to another instructor. Well, he's going to have a whole different system, you know, or he could possibly have a different system, you know, whatever the case may be. So, I want you to be able to reach back out to me. So I give them ninety days of free follow-up, any way, shape, or form we can come up with. If I haven't thought of it, through the ways I mentioned, and you can think of a different one, I'm in. We'll do that too. Anything I can do to help you out and play better golf. So that's my two ninety program.
2: Yeah, and and that's yeah, and that's that's crucial because it, you know, as I was alluding to earlier in the program tonight. You know, again, communication with, with students is is paramount, especially in today's uh, market. There's no excuse. Um, you know, with with all of the technology out there, there's a lot of ways for you to be able to communicate. Many of the ones that you've just suggested are very common uh, nowadays for, for people to be able to communicate. So, you know, I think it's great because you're right. There's nothing worse than you know, spending some money going to a two or three day golf school and, you know, you have a great time and you learn a lot, but then you come back and, you know, a month has gone by and maybe you've got some questions, you you know, you're absorbing a lot of information perhaps uh, in those two or three days. And sometimes you just need a little bit of a cooling down period to absorb that information and maybe get out and try it a few times uh, and maybe a quick call with you or or a, a video analysis from you uh, can shed the light on some areas that they're still a little bit confused about um, without having to go through the, you know, the two or three days school again. Um, they just want to be able to do that. So I like that outreach program that you, essentially is what you're offering uh, to those that, that are involved in the schools. I think it's fantastic.
4: Thanks. You know, once again, it was all something to to take the average golfer, to, to get the fear out of trusting someone with their golf game trust them with their golf lessons you know what i mean so it's something that we say okay look we're gonna do everything we can to help you play better golf you know to help you enjoy your game or to help you score better all those things that that most golfers want and have the ability to do especially in the short game well we're gonna we're gonna put our 100 percent effort into making you a better golfer
2: Yeah, and, and and something else too, Greg, that I, I want to share with the listeners, because it's not just um, the everyday golfer that, that's tuning into the show here, um, there's a lot of our fellow professionals that are listening, and and something that I want to get across, and, and you've really done a fantastic job, I, I, I commend you on, on how you handle things, because um, this is something that unfortunately uh, still goes on in, in our community, and that is the sort of the open door policy where, and what I mean by that is, you know, we get up in the morning, we, we drive to, you know, as, as an instructor, we drive to whatever course we're working from, we open our doors Mm -hmm. and we kind of wait for everybody to come to us this day and age, you have to adapt to a new way of thinking. And that is as instructors, we have to start going out uh, into our communities um, whether it's in our local community and, and even beyond And we have to take a vested interest in really being able to grow the game. The old days of just opening up the clubhouse doors and waiting for uh, people to come and play golf and and hopefully get some lessons worked in and and so on and so forth uh, are really falling by the wayside. And I think that there's unfortunately a lot of instructors out there that maybe are – Afraid of some of the technology that's out there, um, you know, whether it be Facebook Live or some of the other thing, so they're apprehensive, or maybe they just don't know, um, or just decide that that's not for them. Um, so, having a lot of these different options, Greg, uh, available, uh, you know, can 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 be expanded. And I think one of the problems that the industry still has, and I know for for a fact, in the area that I'm in, um, you know, that there are some courses that still subscribe to that old school policy where they're not doing much outreach into their community and they're wondering why, uh, you know, their bottom line is, is getting smaller. So I commend you for what you've done with your program and reaching out.
4: Well, thank you. And it it even goes so far as to, and this is maybe more directed to our, our, our fellow golf professionals here is that Normally, people would think, boy, how do you find courses? Because every course has somebody who's teaching golf. There. How do you find courses that let you come in and teach kind of their turf? You know, golf golf instructors were very territorial yep. by nature. So how do you find oh, yeah. places? And I say, you know, <laughs> I, I I go to the – I, I reach out to the, to the head professional, the general manager, and I explain to them what I do that I find my own students basically be a social media or, you know, marketing in my own way. And I, I can get into how I market and stuff if you want. But, but what I do is I explain to them that I'm going to bring 16 sure. new people into their facility. I ask them at the end of the course, Hey, can you write a review on the facility? So they always give some positive reviews cause they see it in such a nice light. And we, we, we talk about how great the facility is and wonderful they are to host us, you know, and, they're local, so I say, hey, when you play your local golf, this is a wonderful spot to start practicing here, work on these shots here, and I explain right. how the course kind of is, is conducive to their, their score, so they tend to play and practice there a lot. Um, and then the 16 people that I meet in each city, not all at once, but four each day over four, over four days, but sure. eight in a school. But anyways, so the 16 people that come to see me um, – any golf instructor there, if they'd like their contact information, the notes from the school, I'm happy to have them turn over so they have some follow-up with the with the local golf instructor there so they can keep on the same page. And I feel it's good for the golf instructor, but it's also good for the student that you have somebody right there local who knows what we worked on and can can work with them. And when you put all that together, I've had so many general managers say to me, boy, Nobody's doing this kind of outreach. Nobody's going out in the community and finding 16 people and bringing them here to our facility that, that don't get lessons here. You know, we'd love to have 16 new people walking through that door. And one general manager even told me, um, guy in Cherokee Valley, Mississippi, he said that people who take golf instruction are tend to be their best customers. So he was excited to have 16 new people maybe walking through the door and doing that, and it, it opened up a uh, a nice opportunity for them and me there.
2: Well, exactly, and, and this is what I'm saying, and, and, and I don't want to you know paint uh, with a broad brush and say that that nobody is is outreaching because that's not true because I've had many on on this program uh, who you know, may have a different approach to things, but are doing s- some great outreaches, whether it be, be through juniors uh, or uh, you know women's uh, golf or what have you. But the truth of the matter yeah. is there are still a lot who are in this industry that are not reaching out. Um, and, and, and you know, you touched on a little bit about marketing and that. You know, it's great to, to promote, to, to be advertising in magazines, and it's great to be, you know, maybe in your local uh, media market and that uh, to let the people know. But, okay, so they know that your golf course is there, and they know that you're offering lessons in that. But, you know what are you doing to engage the community? I mean, this goes back to sales 101. You have to engage the customer uh, and and get them involved. And I think what's happening is um, too many of them are working on corporate events, and which is great. But again,
1: yeah, they're
2: not really coming up with a with a with a game plan. And what do you do with those you know 50 or 100 people that are coming to that corporate event? Not everybody's going to sign up for lessons, but what are you doing as far as a follow-up and, and, and again, that goes to your two ninety mm-hmm. program. Uh, you know, you've got a great follow-up program. So, you know, you've put together and, and I think, let me just say this and then, I, and then I'm going to get you to respond. Yeah. I think yeah, one sure. of the things that impressed me the most about reading through this, Greg, um, tonight is the fact that on several points you said, you know what? I really thought about how this would work and how I could improve upon it. And, that shows right there that you're interested in not just you know it's not just about helping them play better golf but you're interested in making it a better overall experience and you're allowing yourself to be accessible uh, to the people that you're working with uh, which is something that that is a lost art to be quite honest and and you you should take a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pride in, in what you've put together here
4: well thanks. You know, I mean it, it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I I I owe a lot of thanks to my wife. She's been great through the through the whole thing and she I bounce a lot of ideas off her because she's not a golfer, so she kinda looks at it a little bit more from a consumer standpoint and really grounds me right. and say, Okay, don't do what's best for you. Do what's best for me, being her the golfer, you know, and things like that. And you know, so there's been a lot of benefits of being married to someone who's not a golfer and who is, you know, a a a caring, compassionate person who understands what people want out there, you know? So, so what she's done is she said, okay, if I spend this money, you know, on, on coming to the golf school, well, what happens after, you know, and, and she was the one who kind of brought stuff like that to the forefront for me and stuff like that. So, you know, it wasn't just me, you know, I have some mentors, you know, whether they're business mentors, whether they're golf instructor mentors friends, you know, things like that, that I, that I tend to lean on, obviously her the most, but, uh, you know, the, through the whole process, I can honestly say I've tried to think. Okay, what's best for the golfer? You know, where where's his pain point? Yep. He wants to improve. You know, he's frustrated. He's not shooting lower scores. You know, he's. What can I do to help him? You know, and 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 that's really kind of what led me through every step of the way.
2: Yeah, and and it, and it reaches to another point too, Greg, and, and that is I think that and this is not just limited to the golf industry. It's really to any business. I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make, uh, when they get into business is they chase the money they're looking for. They're focusing on the dollars. They're focusing on the revenue and not always putting out the best product or service. And I think as a golf professional, I think if you take the time to create, um, and it's not just a lesson plan, but to create an experience that is going to be memorable, and I like the fact that you reached outside of the golf community uh, you know, vis-a-vis your, your wife and, and others, yeah. um, and, and got their perspective as a consumer, because that is critical. Um, understanding how a consumer thinks and reacts to a situation, because really all we're doing is we're plugging in golf lessons, and we're plugging in, but it could be any product or any service, and the same uh, yeah. analogy applies. So, so it's important that as instructors that we listen to uh, people outside of our own community as much as we listen inside um, because it's great for you and I to have a conversation as, as mutual instructors, and we can share a lot of information. But um, it's also good to get outside information from somebody that's not have a vested interest in the golf industry or uh, is a general consumer, let's say, on what they would like to see, what kind of an experience they want to have. And by utilizing that, in your perspective, I think is making uh, a very successful platform that you've been building on here for some time.
4: Yeah, thanks. You know, I think that what I've done by by creating this is I let my heart kind of get guide me this way because I love being around golf. I love teaching golf, you know, and kind of fell into it a little bit, and that was the only thing I really knew how to do. So I, you know, but and the, but then what I did from there. Once I get into it, I try to put the, the customer first. Okay, what are their pain points? What can we solve? Once we do solve these, what happens when they reoccur? What can we do to make it less expensive for them? What can we do then to make it easier for them? What can we do to make them help them play more golf, have more enjoyment, you know, even our excuse me, our drills and our games, everything about it that we do excuse me, is all about how do we put more fun in the game, how do we put more enjoyment in the game? And I think when you build a program like that, the success follows, you know, and, and even so much, you know, trying to take the fear out of it and stuff like that, you know, and, and we've, done, we've done pretty well with it. You know, I'm pretty happy.
2: Yeah, and, and that's exactly my point about not chasing the money is you want to, you want to build a platform um, and provide a service and, and or products that the consumers not only want, um, but are going to see a benefit from. Um, you know, obviously, again, improving their golf game. And when you do that and and provide a a top-notch level of service, the money will take care of itself. And, you know, so for for you instructors that are listening to the program, uh, I hope you're taking some notes. And if not, then uh, go back and listen to this broadcast uh, a little bit later uh, when it's convenient and listen to this segment because really what Greg is doing Um, And again, you don't, I'm not saying you have to copy, you know, verbatim what he's doing as far as uh, offering, uh, you know, golf schools and things like that. But a lot of the initiatives that he's taken um, might very well benefit um, your career as well. So um, some great tips and, and some great thoughts. So, so, Greg, obviously the, the most important thing uh, that we want to get out there tonight is uh, for those that may be listening that are interested in maybe getting involved in one of your schools, uh, how do they go about reaching out to you?
4: I think the easiest way, first and foremost, is my phone. If I don't answer it, it's only because I'm, I'm, I'm with someone at that time. But as soon as the school's over, I get right back to it. Um, but my telephone number is 813-580-6282. Um, you know, that, that's probably the easiest way for for somebody to get hold of me. If they want to f- find me on social media, they want to look into my programs or things like that. You can go to Facebook and, uh, type in the search bar, break 30, the movement improvement, you know, uh, Twitter, Greg Thorner golf, things like that. Uh, send me a message, you know, send me a text, send me a, send me an email, um, uh, you, you know, uh, get golf schools, G E T get golf schools at gmail.com. Uh, any of those will work for me. Um and then uh in the on the my Facebook page on my pin post you'll find the list of cities that I, I go to. I mainly stay uh east of the Mississippi. Um I, I like I said I visit thirty cities. They're all, you know, I would say kind of mid sized cities. I do a lot of things like uh Charleston, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, but then we do Charlottesville Virginia, Pittsburgh Cincinnati, Knoxville, Memphis, Nashville um, you know, I do a swing like that but Those wow. are you know kind of similar sized cities That we do, Birmingham, Huntsville And the Alabamas So that's just a few cities That I want to you know, bore you by the details So you can find all that information If you can't, call me, I'll get it to you Or call me, tell me what city you're in You never know, maybe that'll be one of the five That I expand to in 2019 And I take it from 30 to 35 cities
2: perfect. Well, I have, I have no doubt um <clears throat> pardon me, uh Greg that uh w- with the platform that you've been building on that uh you'll uh, reach those 35 cities no problem and uh and I'm sure even beyond. And as I said, it's a great model that you've put together. Uh it's obviously done well for, for you and I think it may be something uh especially maybe for some new instructors out there that are trying to find their niche. Uh, again, I'm not saying or suggesting you necessarily need to copy exactly what Greg's doing. Uh, you obviously have to find what, what is, works for you and what you're passionate about. Um, but there's some great tips and some little nuggets in there that, that might help you develop a, a good program that you can offer your students. And, and, um, but the most important thing is uh, you know, reaching out to the communities. If we truly want to grow this game, uh, you know, the, the game is not being grown at the tour level. Uh, it's great to watch these, uh, you know, you know, these men and women play uh, week in, week out, battling it on on the on the big screen, uh, and and out on the golf courses like we did this past weekend at the Masters. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, it's really at a grassroots level that we're going to grow this game and sustain this game. And uh, but at the same time, we have to do it with integrity and and authority uh, to be able to help people bring those scores down because that's an area that really has uh, has not happened for a long time, and. We not only want to get people coming to the game, but we need to to offer great products and services to be able to keep people in the game. It's one thing to get them, you know, in through the door, uh, but it's another thing to keep them there. And that's uh, again having a great follow up program, Greg, as as you've offered here, is a great way to accomplish that. So, um, well, well, Greg, I hate to say this, but uh, our that was the fastest uh, hour, uh, <laughs> I think that I've done in a long time. So um I, we've got a few minutes left here but uh i've got to uh close out the program obviously but but i want to thank you greg for coming on and and uh it was uh well worth the wait i enjoyed it thank you
4: no thank you thanks i really appreciate it i get love the chance of getting on and uh chance to share my story and and who i am what i'm all about and uh you know like i said i if any i hope i added some some value to your show i appreciate the opportunity to, to do this so
2: Well, Greg, I have no doubt that you, you added value, and uh, I appreciate it, and I hope uh, the many followers that uh, that you have as well uh, through your social media uh, have taken the time to listen tonight and hear maybe a little bit more that they maybe didn't know about you, um, and I appreciate you. You're welcome to come back anytime and, and uh, throw your hat in the ring. Uh, you know, as I say, uh, either – Uh, another segment like this, or maybe at some point you might even want to jump in on one of the coaches' corner panels and, and get involved with some of your, your fellow professors. But uh, uh, again, Greg, I want to thank you for, for giving of your time. I know it's not always easy after a long day's work. So go and enjoy uh, your evening, uh, the rest of your evening with, uh, with family and and friends. And uh, I hope to uh, have you join me again here on golf talk live.
4: Thank you very much, Ted. Have a good evening.
2: All right. Thank you, Greg. All right, that was my very special guest this evening, Greg Thorner, uh, owner of Break 30, the Improvement Movement. Uh, lots of great ways to, to reach Greg, and, and uh, you know, some of them, of course, uh, is to uh, visit him on social media. He's all over uh, Facebook and, and many other uh, social media platforms. And let me just uh, remind you very quickly, uh, if you go to Facebook, you can uh, get him. Uh, his personal page is Greg Thorner, and it's T-H-O-R-N-E-R, uh, you can also follow him on uh, Twitter. It's at Greg Thorne Golf. Uh, or if you go to Facebook and type in Break Thirty Improvement uh, Movement Improvement, uh, you can find it there as well and learn more about his schools. Uh, great uh, fellow professional, and it's got a great uh, uh, business platform and model that's obviously uh, a very successful one. And and something, as I said, uh, you know, throughout uh, the show, something that you want to. Uh, take special note of. I think he's got some great ideas here and, and obviously it, it's uh, it's serving him well. I want to take a, a another opportunity to thank uh, a couple of the guys earlier um, uh, Peter Agazarian and Paul Castor for uh, joining me on Coach's Corner and John Hughes of course. Uh, John, uh, I hate that uh, you weren't able to hang in with us and uh, unfortunately these things happen sometimes with technical issues but uh, always enjoy your thoughts and inputs into the uh, program and I uh, wish you were able to uh, to stay connected with us, but uh, we'll get you next time. But uh, thanks guys for doing a great job on the coach's corner panel. And once again, a special thank you to my uh, evening guest uh, on the second half of the show, Greg Thorner, owner of break 30, the improvement movement. Uh, great guest and enjoyed having uh, him share his thoughts and ideas with the show as well. Um, I will be back of course, next week with another show here, uh, another great panel on the coach's corner segment uh, and another uh, interesting guest uh, next Thursday evening from 6 to 8 here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. so make sure you tune in. And I uh, just want to thank a few uh, of the sponsors and supporters of the show, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com, and uh, great uh, publication. You can find some great courses uh, throughout the southeastern part of the United States. Uh, you'll find them there in the South uh, Coast Golf Guide, uh, or you can visit them online at southcoastgolfguide.com and get uh, much of the same information. Meredith Kirk from Meredith Kirk Golf, uh, great uh, LPJ teacher professional out in the uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina uh, area. Uh, thank you, Meredith, for all of your continued support as well. And also, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, uh, great uh, golf professional Nikki is, and uh, his lovely wife Tiffany. Thank you for all of your continued support and helping spread the word. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. Uh, visit onticgolf.com and uh, see his great line of customized, uh, customized excuse me, putters Uh, go to ontickgolf.com. Sean Kelly, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great uh, network uh, brought to you um, from his uh, golf group on LinkedIn. Uh, Linked Golfers was a great group there, and he's brought it out to his own social media platform, uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, golf group on the LinkedIn network. And also Mr. Peter Doyle, uh, Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you, Peter, for all of your uh, continued support as well. And on that note, I want to thank all of you, the many fans and uh, supporters of the show that tune in faithfully each and every uh, week from literally around the world. It's it's through your listenership and through the many guests that I'm honored to have on the show that really make uh, Golf Talk Live a first-class show and uh, make me want to uh, be here every Thursday evening from six to eight. I enjoy it very much. Uh, enjoy uh, engaging with uh, my fellow professionals and and also meeting and uh, learning uh, some great tips myself along the way. Uh, But thank you for listening, and I will see you next Thursday right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and I'll see you next week.